Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Today, I'm excited because I have with me Christine Tao. Christine is the co-founder and CEO at Sounding Board, a Silicon Valley startup redefining how organizations are developing their leaders. Her extraordinary rapid career growth to executive management in the media, mobile, and tech sectors of Silicon Valley became her inspiration for founding Sounding Board. And we're certainly going to go and talk. Prior to co-founding Sounding Board, Christine was a senior vice president of developer relations at TapJoy, a venture-backed leading mobile advertising and publishing network, where she led the growth of TapJoy's publisher advertising business from zero to over $100 million in revenues in less than three years. And Christine also holds an MBA in marketing operations from Wharton and a BA in business administration from UC Berkeley. And I'm really excited to talk to Christine about her journey, her time in business school, as well as how she and Sounding Board are investing or helping leaders invest in their professional development and growth so that they can be better leaders and show up as better leaders and create better companies and cultures where people can thrive. Christine, thank you so much for joining for me today and for coming on the MBA Insider Podcast. I always love starting with a warm-up question. So my warm-up question to you is, what was your first job, whether that was in high school, in college, or out of school, and what did you learn from that experience? Thank you, Al, so much for having me. I love this question because I actually learned a pretty hard lesson in my first job out of school. And it's a story I often share with others when I get approached for career advice. I somehow have managed to graduate both times in my career at the worst possible times. When I finished my BA at Berkeley, that was 2001. So right after the dot-com bubble, when I finished my MBA, it was 2008. Probably a story for another time, but a story I wanted to share was back in 2001 when I just finished undergrad. And I remember at that time, I had thought that I would do a little travel around the world and explore a bit before I buckled down and got a job. And I think most people know what happened in 2001 in the fall. And with the Twin Towers and with everything that happened in the World Trade Center, I ended up having to come home and found myself in this position of not having plans and not having any job lined up and certainly not traveling like I had expected. I was able to land myself finally after a lot of work an internship. And at that time, I thought I wanted to go into PR. I landed what I thought was an incredibly exciting role to do PR at one of the largest PR agencies at that time in San Francisco. And I set to work trying to show up every day, work really hard, get everything done that they gave me to do. As an intern, you're doing everything from medial tasks. And at that time, still lots of copying. And I'd say not everything was digital, but I really tried to pour my heart into what I was doing with the hopes that they would give me a job offer. And the long story of that was that after working there for about four or five months in I ended up being able to do something pretty meaningful from an internship perspective where I was able to complete a project that they had previously given interns that no one had been successful at. 
but I actually was able to execute it to the point where the head of the department ended up sending an email to the entire company about, hey, Christine did this one thing and what a big win it was for one of their clients. And so you would have thought I had the you know full-time job in the bag. And the learning for me was that I ended up not even being considered for the role. They ended up interviewing other folks and bringing them in and hired somebody else for the full-time job that I really wanted. And at the point where they asked me to help train up the new person, I thought, oh, this is not the place for me. I don't have a future here. And I ended up leaving. And I think the hard lesson I learned, and this was right out of school, was just that the main feedback I had gotten was that while I had done my work, I hadn't really built up the right relationships with the hiring manager and connected with her in a way that they felt like I would be the right candidate for the role. A lot of that had to do with basic things like how you dressed for work, how you engaged and communicated, how you showed up. And it just really taught me that it's really important that you execute against your job, but equally as important at every stage of your career is how you engage and connect with others and especially your manager and when you're in the earliest stages of your career. So a long story, but it was a really hard lesson I learned early on because I'm Chinese American as well. And a lot of times in Asian culture, you think you just put your head down and do the work. But that was a really good lesson for me to learn early that a lot of times you have to think beyond just the quote unquote work that you're doing if you want to be successful. What a great but tough lesson to learn at such an early age. And I'm going to assume that there's probably people that you work with or your coaches work with in Sounding Board who are learning that lesson, but much later in their careers. I can definitely relate to the lesson that you just talked about. As someone who worked in a large corporate environment, I had to learn that very early on. But also being Chinese American, I, I definitely can appreciate the sentiment of the cultural um, views that you are ingrained in you and learning to not necessarily unlearn those, but learning to see that there are realities of working in the workplace. And those are tough lessons to learn, but do also lead to other opportunities down the road. And I can only think about just how valuable it was to learn that at such an age. And I guess maybe just to start off, it sounds like you were able to move on just fine from that internship, given where you are now, but maybe talk about what that first full-time job was after that internship. You dusted off the challenges, propelled yourself into something else. What was that first full-time job you had? And what was that experience like, particularly knowing you had this challenging experience under your belt? Yeah, actually, I don't know that it helped me get my next job. My next job, I actually worked for my dad. So that was who would employ me next. My dad was running to start and had a successful entrepreneur. This was his second company. It was a very early stage company, but I did learn a ton. And the main thing was I got exposed to everything at a very young age and early stage of my career where because my father was the founder of the company, I basically had to do anything and everything, but I also got exposed to everything which I think when I think now about being a founder and as a CEO, you really are a generalist where you are looking across every function. That certainly, I think, led to a lot of my thinking and perspective around how to build a business, right and wrong things to do. 
and just the challenges of that role. From there, that's actually, but it's also really challenging for anyone that's worked in a family business or with fam. Certainly one of the things I learned there is my dad is, we're from Taiwan originally, and my dad comes from this very old school command and control, very autocratic leadership style where you've got to know everything in his mind and be the person telling everyone what to do. And I do think that's had an influence in what I do now at Sounding Board is we are a company that helps other companies develop their most impactful leaders. And I think I've taken a lot of those lessons from my dad and I'm really grateful for that time, but also seeing that there is other ways in a more authentic, a more collaborative, a more empathetic way that you can build leaders at every level that I think really is how most modern companies are realizing how you can really have impact at scale and be able to move at the pace that business really requires today. So just as a follow-up to that, and this is a little bit of a selfish question because I've had the privilege, and I do believe it is a privilege to work with my own father in a number of different capacities and to see all the amazing things that he's able to do and is capable of doing as a professional, as well as seeing some of the, the development areas, as we would say, and a lot of different lights. And But in general, being able to see my father in an environment outside of him being my father has been really meaningful to me. I'm just curious, uh, in your case, you directly got to see it because you worked for this company. I just would love to hear just about what your experience was like in that respect of working for someone who also uh, is part of your family and, and plays a very important role just in a different way. First of all, running a startup is challenge at every stage. And it's, and especially my father was an immigrant and had come over to California as part of the first group of engineers that actually built Silicon Valley, gave Silicon Valley its name. So I think a lot about just how unique and difficult the environment is for folks of his generation. But you also learn a lot about how some of those prior held beliefs may or may not necessarily be the most effective way of leading companies in a more empowered, more open and more transparent way. And for me, I think I was lucky because I did get exposed to so much. You don't really realize how rare that is until later and you see what your other friends are doing at that age and the types of jobs that they were held and how narrow oftentimes their job scopes were. So looking back, I realized, wow, I did get exposed to this huge breadth of experiences that was very unique and helpful for me. But certainly I was living at home, driving with my dad to work every day, coming home, having dinner together. There is a lot of challenge in just spending so much time with somebody there that to be honest, part of my impetus for wanting to go to business school was, oh my God, it's a way for me to be able to move into something different and be able to make a shift in my career. So that's actually what led me to apply for business school yeah. um, and try to shift and actually make a career change in terms of the industry I was working in. And that's a perfect segue because I did want to, to talk to you about that next in terms of, it sounds like you were like, many who go to business school doing it to transition or to change into a new career. But could you talk about your experience at Wharton and how it helped empower or propel you to be able to move from 
working in a small business startup, working for your father, to what you ended up doing next? Yeah. So when I went to Wharton, this was back in 2000. My father's company was in the semiconductor space, so in technology, but what I would call like pretty deep tech. And what we were doing was very highly technical. It was creating and building memory cores that we were licensing to other chip design companies. And so I'm not an engineer by trade. So a big part of my wanting to go to business school was I love technology, but I wanted to get closer to something that I really felt I resonated with. So ended up at work and I ended up doing a MBA in marketing and operations, but I came back into technology and ended up interning with YouTube at the time, right after the Google acquisition. And then was lucky enough to parlay that into a full-time role with YouTube upon graduation. And that was absolutely only possible because I had gone to Wharton because of the very formal recruiting that they have, all of the companies that come on campus and an ability for me to get in front of them. Because if you had looked at my background, there was nothing in there that told you that I could work at an internet technology company. And so really it was that exposure, a lot of the projects and initiatives that I took on while I was at Wharton that allowed me to be able to get that job when I graduated. Just thinking back to that experience, was there anything that comes to mind that was either memorable or fun or just that you look upon fondly from that time and experience at Wharton? Yeah, I tell everyone that's thinking about an MBA is that you can get just as much of an education at business school outside of the traditional classes that you take that actually then just the classes themselves. Of course, all of the clubs, the activities, your peers, and making sure that you're connecting and networking with them across a variety of activities. But I did two things at Wharton that I think were really powerful. One, I actually got a fellowship where I was able to do a research project on digital content and what was happening in the digital content space. And so... Through that, I actually use that to network to different companies and startups that I was interested in. And that experience ended up being relevant for me applying and getting selected when I got into Google into the YouTube team, which was really exciting. The second was one of the classes that I did at work, and it was a class slash consulting project. And at that time, we were effectively doing consulting for tech companies and startups that were coming to Wharton that wanted help and support from MBAs for specific initiatives. And I remember the professor for that was Professor Nelson Gayton. Um, we worked for a company that was called Olivia at the time that was doing travel and solutions for a very specific audience at LGBTQ. But what was really interesting was the CEO of that startup was Amy Eric who now is the CEO of Madison Reed. I'm a very successful um, entrepreneur and founder, but that was just a way to be able for me to get exposed to a project, to really get exposed to how companies were thinking and the problems that they were exposed to and be able to also just network and meet other folks outside of business school itself. And I think those types of experiences became really relevant for me when I was looking for a job post MBA because I really had some real experience I could bring into those interviews. And speaking of which, 
in terms of post MBA. So you graduate from Wharton and you go on to um, have a pretty successful run and working at some incredible venture back companies over a really exciting time in, in the internet technology space. I know we're well, going to talk about sounding board in a little bit, but before we do that, I would just love to know this idea around coaching or leadership coaching or executive coaching in your experience working for those companies, how did you experience coaching or how did this kind of come about to you where you discovered that it was really important either for yourself as an employee or, or yourself as a leader for that matter? Yeah. One thing I will note, just because it is easy to look at somebody's career and resume on paper. You looked at my LinkedIn profile and you think, oh, wow, it's just been this kind of up into the right trajectory. And I always like to share that's not necessarily how it actually happened. Um, I ended up landing my role at the venture back startup Tapjoy because I actually got laid off from my role at YouTube. It was actually Probably, I think still up until today, the one time that Google has done broad layoffs across the organization, and it was in 2009, and they had brought in a new CFO, and it was this kind of like last in, first out. I was the last person to join the team, ended up being the first one out. And I remember thinking at that time, oh my God, I've got all this debt from business school. It's 2009 after a major economic recession. How am I going to find my next role? And I ended up you know, getting introduced into a few startups at that time, one of which was a company called Tapjoy. And at that time, I joined them. They were only about 30 employees. But what I didn't know and fell backwards into was that they were right at the forefront of building advertising monetization solutions for Facebook developers as the Facebook platform exploded. If you remember, everybody used to throw sheep at each other and all these fun Facebook apps. Then we went into mobile at the time that the Apple platform is exploding and Android ecosystem is getting created. And so I fell backwards into these entirely new markets, billions, billions of dollars of market cap that were getting created. And Tapjoy was really at the forefront of that. We ended up scaling that business to over $100 million in three years, like you had mentioned. And how that related to me starting Sounding Board was... I joined as like a fresh green person, knew nothing about the industry, was just an individual contributor out knocking on the doors of app developers to get them to work with us at Tapjoy. Because the business scaled so rapidly, I ended up getting promoted as the company grew and found myself suddenly being on an executive management team for the first time, having never done that before. And so... Our board and our CEO at that time, so over 10 years ago, was pretty forward to work with a coach to help me make these big leadership transitions. And for me, it was just a profound experience, both professionally as well as personally. And so I ended up bringing coaching in for my entire team, saw how impactful that was in helping me actually build a higher retention, higher engagement, and that I was primarily able to promote my team from within. And so just really cemented my belief in the model. And when I left Tapjoy, as I was thinking about what to do next, I never thought I would start my own company because I didn't have an idea, but that was just an experience that had really stayed with me. And I had ended up bringing my coach with me to every company after that as a um, sound. And 
decided like, hey, why couldn't we bring this to people earlier in their careers? I would have loved to have a coach when they first promoted me to be a manager. And so that really was the inspiration for Sounding Board. And my co-founder actually is my coach from Tap Toy. It's been also just an incredibly rewarding experience going from being a coach and a coachee to now being co-founders where Lori really is that domain expert in having coached public and private company CEOs. Both of us are really passionate about this space and what we think we can do to really change the way that companies are developing their leaders. I want to pull out a couple of things before we jump into sounding board. I think the I'm glad you shared just about the transparency around getting laid off at, at YouTube, because I think you're right. It is very much easy to look at someone's profile or to hear stories and to see the linear nature of them. And, and I think in reality, for the majority of us, things are not always linear. Things don't always look like those graphs in business school of the hockey sticking up to the right. There's a lot more twists and turns along the way. That said, one of the things I have learned from my own experience is that when you do go through rocky times or unfortunate times, Sometimes if you can just lean in a little bit longer into being curious and fully acknowledging, sometimes that can be hard to do out and particularly <laughs> during a great recession, opportunity, just as opportunities can swing not your way, they can also swing back your way. And I think what's great about what you were able to do, at least in my mind at TapJoy, was all the things that probably made you a good employee at YouTube's made you just as qualified to take on that, that next opportunity. And I have seen just from my own experience being a career coach, sometimes when people do get laid off, there is definitely some some limiting beliefs that it can need to kind of get worked through when you go through such a challenging experience like that. But when you can lean into that curiosity a little bit longer, opportunities do come your way, which you are able to highlight. But I do want you to talk about signing board and, and, and you alluded to it a little bit. And there's a lot of cool things there, particularly in terms of your coach as your co-founder, how that all came about. But tell us a little bit more about starting the company and, and what it does. Yeah. So Sounding Board is a venture-backed startup. Our vision is to really help create the world's most impactful leaders. Now, how do we do that? On a very simple basis, we do that by making traditional executive coaching scalables through a technology-first model. So think teledoctors, but for executive coaching or leadership coaching, where we have a technology platform that can do everything from help you build a profile, some assessments, help you also give you tools to be able to set goals and track your progress, to even match you to a global network of coaches that we have built up and ensure that you're getting the right coach for you. We also, through the platform, support one-on-one -on -one coaching, group coaching. We now are also taking to market a pure SaaS platform because we work with a lot of large global enterprises. And for many of them, beyond wanting end-to-end -end coaching delivered to their employees, that a lot of them are now also activating their own employees in some ways as coaches themselves but they need software to help them manage that. Think about how companies have done this in the past. They'd set up a program and then they'd actually have to manually figure out like, who do I map pair this employee with? And so a lot of the technology that we built to be able to deliver coaching at scale, we're now exposing and allowing our same customers to utilize whether or not they end up using the sounding board network of coaches to deliver that coaching. So 
that's been really exciting for us just because as given your own experience in career coaching, it's a little bit different than leadership coaching, but coaching itself has gone through an explosion in terms of demand over the last few years. And I think COVID and this move to remote work certainly has accelerated the need for virtual coaching. And so we're just starting to see so many companies really turn to this as a way of thinking about how they develop their talent and their critical talent at scale. I would love for you to maybe talk a little bit more about that because I, I, it's, it, I don't mean to be trite here, but the past two years have really changed a lot and been a really challenging for everyone in the workplace. And when it comes to leadership, I would just love to know from you, either from your own perspective or from the work that your executive coaches do, what, where, what are the skills or competencies that really are needed and required for leaders to, to lead in, in ways that really drive growth and development of their people? And the reason why I asked the question partially is because I think it goes without saying, there's a lot of people who are really struggling in the workplace right now. And so much so that many of them are choosing to leave or to, to find other opportunities or to opt out. And it's hard not to think that sound leadership could play a really important role in mitigating that or, or finding that in a different way. And I, I just think that what you and Sounding Board are doing and specifically what your coaches and your platform are doing can play such a role in, in helping that, but would love to know more just from your own perspective or what you're seeing and hearing from your own coaches. I, I think you hit on a lot of it, which is first, why does it matter? One of the things that we see and we also fundamentally believe is that, look, Sound leadership has always been important, right? So it's not as if we don't didn't always need good leaders at every level. What I do think has happened in the last couple of years is that the urgency around it, the criticality of that, how much that that actually impacts your business, your employee engagement, the bottom line has gotten exposed at a level that it's now really raised the awareness and urgency that companies have around it. Because think about it, when you're in office, you've got so many other factors that influence your employees' experience of that company. Being in the office, hearing other conversations, seeing what's going on. Managers can also, by osmosis, and probably have done this more than they should have in the past, peripherally manage their employees, if I can say it that way, right? Now we're all in our homes. I don't see what somebody is doing. I don't see what any of my peers are doing. As an employee, as I come in, who is driving the majority of my experience as I onboard onto a new company? It's probably your manager because that person is now so much larger of a presence in terms of their interactions with you, how they guide your work. Your exposure outside of them is less than likely it was when you were actually physically in an office. So it's just raised the importance of, and I think expose that if you don't have solid managers in place, companies are just seeing that show up in employee engagement, burnout, stress, all of these things that are happening. So when you ask me about what are those skills that people need, the skills themselves actually aren't different. Certainly communication, being able to manage your time, prioritize, being able to think strategically, being able to lead and team, right? All of these things I think are not 
anything different than what we expected out of leaders in the past. I think now what is at the level of capability and skill level that we need out of our managers to be able to do that effectively in a remote environment is so much higher because the stakes of that are so much higher given that outsized influence managers have on the entire employee experience. I, I thank you for breaking it down. And I, I think you're absolutely right. It's funny because when you talk about things like communication, prioritization, I don't think anyone would disagree that those are important skills to have, whether you're a manager or, or anyone for that matter. But it is, it's always been interesting to me because in my experience, at least when you talk about good management and you say those things, everyone just says, yeah, yeah, I can do that. Or yeah, no duh, communication, of course. <laughs> but I think what we're learning is that uh, it's a, the simple but not easy mantra of like, yes, communication in concept is, is simple, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy to do. And when you're not being intentional about it, particularly with respect to the ways in which people are working because of remote, because of all the technologies that we have to communicate with one another and people's own individual preferences, something that sounds so simple like communication doesn't necessarily mean it's easy. And then I think the other thing that often comes up, and I know this and often kind of repeated stat, so Gallup, I'm sure, I'm sure has always talked about that a manager can be responsible for up to 70% of the variance in an employee's engagement, you know, in their work. And I think that to your point, I think during COVID, I, I think that just became, you know, even more clear and not to mention for a lot of organizations, not all organizations, but for many organizations, the people who did get to a level where they were a manager, part of how they got there was because they were really exceptional as an individual contributor. And that's really great. But often there is some overlap between the skills that make you a great individual contributor and a good manager, but there are also others that are entirely different. And sometimes there is a sense of unlearning that needs to go on, or in some cases, just learning period that needs to happen in order for someone to make that leap. And if they don't, you do, I think you do get situations where or you get suboptimal outcomes and suboptimal situations. So Agreed. And one thing I will say, certainly there is a nuance around the skills in a remote environment that I think are different. And also just given the rapid pace of change, we're seeing a lot of focus with our coaches and their coaches around adaptability. How do you also, from a mindset perspective, focus on resilience and adaptability in your work as a leader. And then of course, empathy. How do you as a leader really be able to connect with your team and your employees and to do that in a way that is authentic and helps them feel supported during this time when we are all going through so many things outside of work, concurrent to work at the same time, right? I can't tell you how many times that kids are barging in, sudden things are sure. all disrupting our work every day. And so there certainly is a nuance and a focus that we're seeing in terms of the types of skills that companies are wanting out of their leaders. But at the base of it, most of these are foundational leadership skills that every leader um, needs to be able to do effectively. I'm struck because so much of the work that you do is really focused around leadership and really helping empower and build better leaders in the workplace. I would be curious to know from your own experience, are there any leaders who have made a really positive impact on your life personally, professionally? And maybe a little bit more specifically, what about them have you taken as something that was important to you 
uh, or something that you look up to or something that you try to embody yourself as a leader? Yeah, I think, look, I can't not talk about Lori, who's my co-founder and my coach. Today, we have a bit of a different relationship because we're co-founders and she's not coaching me. But she certainly was instrumental in helping me develop the types of skills that I think have made me a more effective leader today. And now I get this really exciting perspective of being able to see how she runs her own groups and functions. And one of the things that I've always appreciated about her and one of the things we talked a lot about in coaching was being able to name things, to be able to neutrally have the hard and difficult conversations, but be able to do that in a way that could still be able to drive towards the business results that we needed to get to, but but keeping respect and integrity and all of that intact for employees. The critical conversations, giving and sharing your feedback is probably one of the number one places that new managers or managers and even executives continue to struggle with. And I think that one of the main lessons I learned with her was that if you can shift your own mindset about that, And oftentimes where we get stuck in giving feedback is we're more caught up with how the other person might perceive or how might interpret that. And we're almost worried a little bit too much about ourselves is that if you can approach these kind of critical conversations more neutrally, that is something that has really helped, I think, in terms of being able to give feedback when needed that actually lands and also to ensure that you are getting to the end business result that you need, but you're doing that in service of and with respect to that person and their needs as well. Yes. When it comes to having the harder conversations, saying something tough or difficult doesn't mean that you don't care about the person. If anything, it means that you do because you're willing to um, speak openly, respectfully. But I also think I can speak from personal experience. Uh, It's a lot easier sometimes said than done and to, to practice it consistently and to have that mindset to consistently do that is, is not always one, one thing I did want to ask about just because it is just so pressing and top of mind. So I think earlier this year, or I should say, excuse me now in late 2021, uh, sounding board raised another round of funding. Congratulations. I am wondering what is up next for you and, and the team? What do we have to look forward to in the coming? 2021 is an exciting year for us, for sure. We actually raised two rounds of funding just in 2021. The last was our Series B that was led by Jazz Ventures. It was a $30 million Series B. For us, a main goal for us really is, as I'd mentioned before, we have a software platform that we're also taking to market now. So we are making a heavy investment around product and engineering. We think that there is still so much to go in terms of the market opportunity around coaching. And that one, we want to be the company that owns coaching for leadership development and help companies rethink the way that if they've been previously using training or if they previously been trying to bring all of their managers to one place physically to give them manager training, that there could be different ways that they approach that in a more virtual model, a personalized model, a coaching model that could have a lot more impact in actually developing the skills that they want out of their leaders. So product and engine investment is a heavy focus for us. The other is that we've been really successful in our go-to-market teams where we've invested around sales, customer success, and even coaching implementation team that very 
carefully manages our engagements to ensure that we're getting the impact out of them. And so we'll continue to grow and staff those teams and also start to open up partnerships and channels in a way that we hadn't before. That sounds really exciting. And to end here, I want to go back to something you said earlier when you were working in your, before for Google and working for TapJoy, you had mentioned that because of the growth that had happened um, so quickly, it really required you to up-level and upskill and maybe um, learn some new behaviors and, and, unshed, and shed some old ones. And I presume that also is true as a CEO now of a fast-growing startup, where as the famous Marshall Goldsmith quote goes, what, what got you here won't, won't get you there. And I would maybe love to learn from you, what are some ways that you try to continue to up-level and upskill yourself for to be able to certainly succeed in the day-to-day, but also to ensure that you can continue to grow and be successful when it does require you to change and work in new ways? The fun part of doing a startup, and especially as a founder, is that I feel like my job effectively changes every six months. And, and that's because the business is growing and the needs are different. One of the things I've always been really good about is that I care a lot about learning. It's actually part of why I love to run a startup. You're almost never stopping learning because you're always faced with new challenges. And a lot of that I'd like to do by engaging with folks that are either peers of mine are building businesses or oftentimes folks that might be one or two steps ahead of me or even further where I want to get to. And so I've been very intentional about constantly cultivating a set of mentors, advisors, certainly coaches as well, all around me to help me continue to, one, have a resource and someone I can, you know, text and say, hey, how did you do this to somebody that I can engage with to help me continue to push my own growth as the founder and CEO. And I actually, I just joined YPO to be able to do that also in a more formal capacity. So I'm a big believer in constantly investing in the networks, advisors, mentors, and relationships around you as a form of learning. And that's wonderful and a great way to wrap up. Christine Tao, the co-founder and CEO of Sounding Word Inc., as well as a Wharton MBA alum. Thank you so much for coming on the MBA Center podcast. If people want to learn more about Sounding Board or learn more about you, where can they go? Where should they, where can they find you and Sounding Board? Yeah, just check out uh, www.soundingboardinc.com and you can always reach me. I'm just Christine at soundingboardinc.com. Hi, everyone. LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.